Welcome to Talk Nation Radio, a half-hour discussion of politics as if the people mattered. I'm David Swanson. It is my great pleasure to welcome to Talk Nation Radio this week, Jamil Simon, who is a documentary filmmaker who has worked in over 25 countries, developing communication strategies to promote social and environmental reform. He has promoted sustainable agriculture in Malawi, conflict resolution skills in Jordan, democracy in Mali, and water conservation in Tunisia. Most of his work has been done for USAID, DFID, and the World Bank. Simon is a conscient, was a conscientious objector during the war on Vietnam. Recently, he put together an event uh, in New York City called War Stories, Peace Stories. It took a deep look at the impact of the way the news media covers peace and conflict on public perceptions and also how it can be done differently. Simon is currently producing a film about peace building in Burundi that will become part of a film about peace building in four countries, Burundi, Ireland, Sri Lanka, and Colombia. Jamil Simon, welcome to Talk Nation Radio. Thanks very much, David. Thanks for coming on. Uh, Tell me about this uh, event that I was very interested in uh, but wasn't able to attend in New York, War Stories, Peace Stories. What what happened there? Well, it was really... um a dream come true in a lot of ways because it's something I've been thinking about for many years. And, um, and what, you know, I, I feel strongly that peace building is invisible to the public. Um, they never hear about it. You know, the, the most they'll ever see is, uh, uh, two people, uh, shaking hands when they're signing a treaty, but nobody really understands anything about what, um, led up to the treaty or what, comes after it. And often what happens after a treaty is very, very important. And um, as a, one of the, I call him a mentor, he was a wonderful uh, man named Howard Wolpe. He was a former congressman, former ambassador to the Great Lakes region. And what he said was so true, I think. He said, just because two people sign a peace agreement, doesn't mean that they've changed their views or changed their perspective on each other. And he felt it was very important after the peace agreement signed to work with them and to help them understand each other, uh, as he said, that, uh, you know, to walk in each other's shoes. But getting back to the conference, it was, you know, my goal was to um, put together put journalists and peace builders together to really get a better understanding of, of how we can change the way we, the way journalists report on peace and conflict. And, um, you know, one thing that's very uh, clear is that, um, you know, I think journalists are maybe more likely to go and talk to a general during a conflict than they would be to talk to a peace builder. And I was hoping to change that. And so my dream was to have this uh, symposium right in the heart of the uh, news and media center of the world, in a sense, uh, is New York City. And we ended up having, uh, having it at the venue called the New York Times Center, which is adjacent to the New York Times. And um, so it was really felt like we were in the belly of the beast. And... It was great. I mean, there were so many 
um, amazing people that came. You know, it, it drew over 400 leading journalists, peace builders, thought leaders, funders, um, peace activists, all kinds of people. And, um, and also the, uh, some of our foundations that were supporting us had the, uh, you know, had the good sense to sponsor people to come, peace builders and journalists to come from all over the world. So we had peace builders and journalists from Africa, from Asia, from Latin America, and uh, the Far East. It was really impressive, and that made a big, big difference. It is changing the the viewpoint and the, the, the work procedures of journalists uh, going to fix what we get from the New York Times and NBC and CBS, uh, or is changing the perspective of the editors and producers and owners and advertisers going to be required? Well, um, you know, the thing is, uh, editors are critical in this whole thing because often, you know, uh, yet I'm sure you've heard the expression, if it leads, if it bleeds, it leads. And um, there's, that, there's that mantra that editors often have that, that makes them think that peace is not a story. But we were able to show journalists that day that peace is a story and that there is some personal drama that is really, and that there are heroes who aren't, we don't carry guns, but they're heroes nevertheless working to prevent violence rather than to, uh, uh, you know, fight, kill. And, um, you know, so we feel that you certainly don't need a gun to be a hero. And these are people that are um, doing really courageous work in very challenging circumstances. But editors are the key. And um, we didn't have very many editors, but we hope to have a smaller meeting with editors to, in a sense, share some of the same ideas and the same stories. Because, um, you know, basically, if you want to change, if you want to shift the paradigm in terms of how, what the public thinks about peace and conflict, journalists is the best place to start. And we had some absolutely fabulous journalists there who... Um, <clears throat> you know, spoke really eloquently about covering peace and covering conflict and the challenges of doing both. And um, I, I was going to ask, are there some examples uh, before or, or since the conference uh, of, uh, of journalists covering peace activists as, as uh, noble, yeah. heroic figures, either in independent media or in, in major corporate media? Yes. No, I mean, one of our uh, keynote speakers was a young uh, journalist who works now for The New Yorker, but she just wrote a beautiful book um, called uh, A Moonless Starless Sky, Ordinary Women and Men Fighting Extremism in Africa. She's a Nigerian, she's born in America, but her parents are from Nigeria. And she spent about three years traveling around Nigeria, northern Nigeria, where there's been a lot of violence, Uganda, 
Mauritania, and uh, I believe Somalia as well. And she really did a beautiful reporting on these heroes who were um, really, really doing amazing work trying to, one of them was working against slavery, one of them was working against Boko Haram, um, another one was working against uh, um, Lord Resistance Army. Um, you know, these are courageous people doing some amazing work. And she did a beautiful book that profiles them. And um, one of the exciting outcomes from the symposium itself was we partnered with the Pulitzer Center on crisis reporting. And they, um, what they do is basically they give grants to journalists to cover hard-to-cover stories. And uh, together, we put together a competition for journalists called Pitching for Peace. And they were absolutely amazed. They got 200 applications from 60 countries. Um, they were impressed that close to 45 of those applications were solid, good stories from experienced journalists. And they were supposed to choose just three, but they couldn't. <laughs> they, 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 they ended up choosing 10 stories, and each winner or each, uh, each of the journalists they supported got a grant of up to 20K to uh, go and cover their story. And so this was a huge commitment that they made, and, and um, these reporters are now on their way out doing, doing those stories. So that was great. That's terrific. Were, were, all, of, yeah. were all 10 of those stories, uh, I'm just hazarding a guess here, uh, non-Western wars? Uh... Yes, they were all international. Because the focus of, of uh, the symposium was on international peace building. Um, you know, you had to make a choice, and we decided not to focus on domestic problems, although there are a lot of domestic problems here. <laughs> you know, we could use a lot of peace building in the United States between, uh, you know, groups that are sort of siloed uh-huh. and only talking to themselves not really understanding each other. Yeah, that's that's but, not uh, really the distinction I was making. I, I, I the the United States is engaged, as you must be aware, in numerous international uh, wars. Is bombing Yemen and international, Syria. I didn't hear you. Wars. You could speak up a little bit. Wars. Wars. <laughs> uh, the, oh my the, God! It's unbelievable. The, we have soldiers in 130 countries. Yeah. So that. I, I, I don't know if you can hear me okay, but my question about about peace building uh, is how it can impact the greatest purveyor of violence on earth, a nation that is bombing several countries at once, occupying Afghanistan and Syria and fighting wars in Libya and Yemen and, and, and so forth, when... The, the the weapons company's stocks plummet on Wall Street every time there's a threat of peace. Uh, I, I wonder if there are forces at work here that are different from those uh, addressed by peace-building work. Well, peace-building is absolutely starved for resources. Um, it's an effective practice 
but it needs much, much more support. But, it, you know, peace builders get drowned out by war and violence and even by advertising. I mean, the, um, you know, the major weapons manufacturers like Lockheed Martin and um, Boeing and Raytheon and uh, Northrop Grumman, they advertise heavily on um, programs like Meet the Press and Face the Nation. And in effect, you wonder, they are, in effect, advertising policy. That is, they're advertising the fact that we can bomb our way to security. But it's patently obvious that we're not succeeding. And my feeling is that we need to elevate awareness on the part of the public, because how can we expect the public to advocate for less uh, military solutions to conflict if they don't ever see them working, they don't ever see them on television, they don't ever hear about them in the news, um, you know, that's a big problem. And so that's my sort of mission right now is to elevate awareness of peace building in the, in the eye of the public. And for people to understand that there are effective nonviolent solutions to conflict, but we have to support them. We have to give them... Uh, Funding. Uh, we have to train people to do it. You know, the, unfortunately, the problem with peace building is that it's quiet. Uh, it doesn't always work. Um, it takes a long time. I mean, all of these things make it hard to report on. But you know, these are powerful emotional stories when people transform themselves in terms of how they approach themselves and their opponents. And uh, so we just need a lot more of it. But it is monumental, the task that we have, because we are so um, committed to military solutions to conflict. I mean, the world spends $1.4 trillion every year on military solutions, including armament and armies and all the things that support them. And I once figured out... I, the ratio is something like 20,000 to 1 in terms of what they, uh, um, you know, what they, what the world spends on peace building. And, um, you know, it may have changed recently, but it's still pathetic. And, you know, how are we going to change that ratio between peace building, between nonviolent effort and military solutions? If we don't educate the public that it's possible, that it's, you know, people don't really see that peace is possible. They, um, they're, they're very skeptical. And frankly, I think a lot of the bombing and the drones that we use are actually creating more enemies than we are, you know, than, and they're not really solving the conflicts. They're really promoting more. And so it's, it's just a horrific cycle that we're in. And um, we need to get, engage the public in changing that cycle and challenging the notion that if it bleeds, it leads. I, mean, I think people are interested in deeper, more nuanced stories about uh, how peace gets made and what happens after a treaty is signed and 
how to bring people together instead of uh, driving them apart or blowing them up. We're speaking with Jamil Simon, who's a documentary filmmaker. I wonder if there are uh, stories from this upcoming film from Burundi, Ireland, Sri Lanka, or Colombia that could give people uh, some examples of what is possible. Well, you know, Burundi is an interesting story. Um, but for about 10 years, it was launched by this uh, ambassador that I mentioned, Howard Wolpe. Um, after he helped engineer the treaty that brought an end to the uh, horrific conflict in Burundi, it was very similar to what happened in Rwanda. It was ethnic killing, um, ethnically motivated Slaughter, uh, bad word for it. And um, so he helped engineer the treaty that brought an end to all that. Um, but he worked, he then got money from the World Bank and USAID to work with the top leaders of the country to teach them conflict resolution skills. And it was really amazing. He, he, he basically uh, taught top 2,000 leaders um, in Burundi these skills, and it was it had a real impact. Um, and uh, then they went out and uh, trained trainers, and then they went out, and, and not only their organization but others went and trained people in conflict resolution skills all over the country. They trained mayors and chiefs and uh, police chiefs and uh, youth leaders all over Burundi. And it really had a major impact. I mean, they, they, they managed to integrate the army. But this story was never covered. And what happened was when the president in 2015 decided to go for an illegal third term, all of a sudden the country blew up. And then Burundi made the front page of the New York Times. And that's the problem. You know, this remarkable peace effort that was going on for 10 years that really needed more support than it had um, was invisible to the world. Yeah. But when, it, when there was, the minute there was violence there, um, you know, it, it, it was on the front page of the New York Times often for months after that. And, you know, so that's a, that's a, a good example. The, in Colombia... We're, you know, I think that... Peace uh, has made a little bit of news in Colombia. and It has. They gave but, the Nobel it, Peace Prize to one side, anyway. Yep, they did. You know, President Santos, and he came to Boston, to Harvard, to talk about the peace effort. He spoke for three hours. It was amazing. He held everybody's attention with how dramatic that story was. And women played a very important role in... Uh, in the Columbia Peace Agreement, he talked a, a lot about how women pushed him all the time. Every time the, the peace effort or the peace uh, negotiations began to falter, uh, the women just pushed him to restart it, to keep, keep it going. And, you know, women's organizations showed up you know, they came to Cuba where the treat, you know, the final treaty was negotiated 
to, uh, you know, and they were part of the agreement. And they, they, they knew that war was, you know, they had all lost husbands, brothers, sons, um, everything, you know, so much was lost. And they realized that the peace, the, the war, this 50-year war that they were engaged in was really preventing the development in Colombia. But it's still very fragile, that piece. And um, there's an election coming up, and the prime contender uh, is, uh, I, I think Santos cannot run, and um, he's the president that negotiated that peace treaty. And, um, and I think the one, the president that's vying for office now is against the treaty. And so there's a chance that Colombia is going to take some several steps backwards if he gets elected. And um, so it is. It's really fragile. You know, peace is fragile. It's not always a sometimes often two steps forward, one step back. Indeed. And the United States seems to be setting a model of, of pulling out of treaties. Uh, and Oh, yeah. And, and there seems... Absolutely. There seems to be no more prominent example in the world right now of failing to walk in the other person's shoes than the United States National Security Advisor and Vice President and President threatening North Korea with the Libya treatment. Uh, and exp- right. And it, it, what, what should be going on? Uh, I would say that's demotivational. <laughs> uh, just I mean, a little, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it, it's awful. I mean, and, you know, they've decimated the uh, State Department. They've fired so many uh, experienced diplomats. We're missing ambassadors in so many countries. Um, you know, they just don't appreciate. They think that they, you can bully the world into submission. I mean, General Mattis himself, the uh, who used to be referred to as Mad Dog Mattis before he... Uh, um, became the Secretary of Defense when he was testifying in Congress about um, the, he was talking about the cut in the State Department. He says the more you cut in the State Department and in foreign aid, USAID, um, then you better buy me some more ammunition because there's going to be more war. We need diplomatic solutions. We need peaceful solutions to conflict, and we need to believe in it. We need to support it. We need to do more of it. We need to train people to do it. And, you know, we've just got to generate more public support and nonviolent solutions to conflict. And, and, and how do we make it uh, interesting to the corporate media and engaging and exciting to people? Uh, people, I, I mean, I look at a picture of war and its devastation and horror, and peace is everything enjoyable and creative and engaging, and nonviolent mm-hmm. resistance has all that courage and sacrifice. But uh, people, I, I think, imagine that peace is boring uh, and war is exciting. Uh, mm-hmm. how, how do you how do you change that? It's a huge challenge. It's like trying to turn a massive ship around, um, and that's why I'm so anxious. I think the place to start is to engage journalists, and um, 
and you know, and there were some other concrete things that came out of the uh, the symposium that were very exciting. There's an organization called News Deeply, and uh, and they're an independent uh, news organization. It primarily on they're on the web, not anywhere else. And uh, and there are more and more of these organizations that um, are looking at news in a different way. And what they have, it's very interesting, they have channels, you know, single-topic, um, you know, single-issue channels that gather news of all kinds, mainstream news, on-the-ground reporting from people inside the country, um, expert testimony, discussions, I mean, a whole wide range of sources of information all about one topic. And they have um, channels on oceans, they have a channel on Syria, they have channels on rivers and water resources, um, and they just opened up a brand new channel which really came out of our symposium called Peace Building Deeply. And so that's very exciting because now stories about peace building have a, a home. <laughs> and um, that's terrific. Yeah, no, that's that's great. I mean, that's the nice thing about this project is that um, uh, so many great things came out of it, um, and uh, not just the discussions that happened there and relationships and the um, uh, you know the the networking that happened at the symposium, but also some of these concrete uh, stories that are coming out of it. So that's exciting. Uh-huh. But it's really, David, I can't tell you how difficult it is. And um, But I think journalists is the place to start. And, you know, I think we ought to have more of these conferences in other cities around the world. And... Um, We've, you know, we, we've just got about a minute and a half left. I wonder, people who want to get engaged, where can they find uh, videos or information on your recent conference? Where should they be looking for information or, or to follow up with, uh, with your work? Uh-huh. Well, the warstoriespeacestory.org is the place to look for information. You can sign up for, um, uh, you know, to get in, you know, news information, news um, from from war stories, peace stories from the team there, and um, my work is uh, covered on my own website. Um, it's uh, spectrummedia-boston.com, and um, uh, news deeply is just simply newsdeeply.org. And uh, the Pulitzer Center is, I think, the PulitzerCenter.org. Um, you know, so these these are some good resources to learn about um, some of the kind of peace reporting uh, that's being done. Wonderful. Uh, we will put all of those links up at talknationradio.org. Jamil Simon is a documentary filmmaker who's worked in over 25 countries, and you will want to see his film on Burundi uh, coming out uh, sometime soon. Uh, with Not soon. <laughs> in, 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 uh, challenging getting funding for, for uh, these stories, but 
We're working on it. Well, we will let people know when it's out. Jamil, Simon, thank you very, very much for coming on Talk Nation Radio. All right, David, thank you. It's been a pleasure talking to you. This is Talk Nation Radio. I'm David Swanson. Take action at rootsaction.org. Help end war at worldbeyondwar.org. All past shows can be heard at davidswanson.org. Talk Nation Radio is produced in Charlottesville, Virginia, and syndicated by Pacifica Network. If you are listening to a nonprofit station, please support that station. Talk Nation Radio is funded by contributors at davidswanson.org. There is no way to peace. Peace is the way. Until next time.